2: Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your, Your Angry, Angry Neighborhood, Neighborhood feminist. feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. That it is. That it is.
1: So today we're going to be talking about a topic that I feel like if you listen to my other podcast, My Worst I have mentioned Many, many times. Because so when you're talking about dating and relationships. Yeah. And then we also have a segment on that show called Tainted Love Stories. Yeah. Uh, which is a true crime story, typically, uh, or unusual romance stories. A lot of them. Right. Involve stalking. Yes. And I have said many times, and I have been told by people in real life that I should stop saying this. What do but you say? That that is like, obsession is one of my greatest
2: fears. Like oh. someone being like... That obsessed with you and like right. not leaving you alone. Interesting, because to me, one of my biggest fears is being like chased or taken. followed, yeah, and being taken, like yeah. being abducted, is like my main thing. Like even walking to my car after work when it's dark, the whole time in my head, I'm like, I know I'm cute, but don't abduct me. I know I'm cute, don't abduct me. It just, <laughs> scares, just, like, it just scares. It just scares me. Like anyone being. Because it's not rational, right? No. Like a lot
1: of these like stalking stories that you hear, or at least the famous ones, it's not rational, and there's nothing you can really do to stop it. And or prepare also yourself, even for though it. nowadays, and we will talk about this, like there are laws in place against stalking. It's still so hard to get anyone to do anything yeah, until and it's still, it
2: escalates. And it's all really new laws. And the thing is, is one of the things that I read is that while stalking is illegal, the actions that people take, like the individual actions aren't necessarily illegal. Like sending a text message isn't illegal. So where does it cross the line from being, you know, communicating with them or whatever to a dangerous thing, to a, right, to a dangerous right. point?
1: And often, you know, they will not do anything until things have escalated to a point where it has become dangerous. Now. Right. Like where your safety is well, in danger. You yeah. Know?
2: And I feel like stalking is something that would be really hard to see the escalation as well because it's not something that is known like publicly to people. It's not, it's a very private thing that they're doing. So it's not like we can see this person escalating and getting worse and worse. Right know? Yeah. It's terrifying. So what is stalking? So the legal definition of stalking varies from one jurisdiction to another, but according to the department of justice, a good definition of stalking is a course of conduct directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person to feel fear. In the UK, laws state that an incident of stalking behavior has to only occur twice when the harasser should be aware that their behavior is unacceptable, which I found really interesting because that's not something we have here in the United States. Right off the bat, we see that there is differences in how different countries and even jurisdictions within the United States handle stalking. I thought it was very impressive that in the, the UK, after only two instances of harassment or you know repeated text messaging and things like that, will law enforcement intervene in one way, shape, or form?
1: I mean, that's very interesting because I fully do not see that happening in the United States anywhere I've lived. Like, I can't imagine going to a police department and saying this person has given me unwanted attention twice and them taking that seriously. Right. Well, and that's the other
2: thing because, like, we were talking before we started recording where you were like, I've got a shit ton of statistics. It's so hard with these statistics because not everybody even reports these things because if it's only happened a few times or you justify it in your mind that it's not a big deal or you think you can take care of it yourself, there's probably a lot of these instances of stalking that are never actually reported to any sort of law enforcement or survey. So it's hard to get a clear... Image of what these numbers really yeah, are. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, do you ever
2: feel like you've been stalked? Yes, just once. Yes, me too. Once. Yeah. And it was like it wasn't like a like a repeated, like long thing. It was during a breakup with mm-hmm. and he like showed up at my apartment and demanded to see me. And it was just things like where I had to change my phone number um it was repeated communication from all different platforms and things like that yeah, fear that yeah. they were going to show up at my place again it was really like it it's was scary. a brief thing but it was for a moment like i need to do something and changing my number was one of those things that's going to protect me from this person i contacted any mutual friends and was like please do not let them know what I'm up to, where I am, any information about me because I don't want it to this day I still say that so that nothing will get back to this person. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, it is a very scary situation. Like I feel like that happened to me one time and I don't I don't talk about this so much. I may have mentioned this on the other podcast before. I don't think I've ever talked about this on this podcast, but I probably have talked to you about this because it happened when we were at School
2: <laughs> when we were at film school. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I'm remembering that something happened, but I don't remember the details. It was very weird, it, you know, and I hope that he because I know
1: that, you know, who is b- it before we'll bleep I got it out? Um, but I, I don't I hope he doesn't listen, but I know that he did still follow me on Facebook before I got rid of my Facebook. But he, he I was young. Right. And like he asked me to be in a film. And I was like, okay, he was a director. I was an actor. Last, first of all, the film was about obsession, like about somebody being like obsessed, right? Of
2: course it was.
3: And
1: he
2: insisted on taking me to
1: dinner, which Mm. was already, again, I was like 20, right? Like I I wasn't, I was
2: just. Well, and you're new to LA, you're new to probably working on like film sets and things like that too. Because for me, like, being in theater than working in film was two completely different things so you do have like you don't really know what's expected right. of you and like, what you're well, supposed to do you know
1: no one has done this for me before but that doesn't right. necessarily mean that it's it's wrong and it's a fellow student it's right. not like a professional situation so it's a little bit different yeah but looking back on it I was like okay because he's t- you know he was the director and it was a two people in the cast right um uh, Me and a guy. Yeah. And it was supposed to be like a date gone wrong. And looking back, I'm like, okay, well, where was the other cast member? Right. You know what I mean? So he took me out to dinner. Then he wanted to go buy the wardrobe for... He wanted to purchase the again. Look, remember the film school we went to. This guy wanted to purchase the wardrobe, so he took me um, to the store. We were looking at things. Mm. Uh, he purchased the the wardrobe that he wanted me to wear for the shoot, and then I also we were just walking through the clothes aisle, and I was like, "Oh, this is cute." And oh, he, no, he bought that for me. Oh. And then the day, like like a couple days before the shoot, came, and he told me that the other actor dropped out
2: of course and oh and there's no one i could possibly get at the last minute so at a film school i'm gonna step in as the role of your boyfriend yes Yes, Yes. definitely Mm -hmm. um and it was
1: it was very uncomfortable because it was a violent it was supposed Mm -hmm. to be a violent scene and was there was he also directing was it just the two of you yes oh well well, there was someone manning the camera so there was a camera guy yeah Um, But very uncomfortable, extremely uncomfortable. And then after the shoot, he gave me, like, this goodie bag that had, like, shampoo, conditioner, Versace, perfume, like, all of this stuff in it. Um, And what was this, like, a five-minute short? It was so... Yeah. It was... (laughs) I probably have it somewhere on DVD. And... Then after that, he would text me just every now and again, just to say like, hey, how are you doing? Right. Like, what's up? You know, like lots of emojis, like lots of like,
2: yeah, rose
1: emojis, like just things that made me very uncomfortable. Like he'd met yeah. my boyfriend at the time. Like it was it was just weird. And then I remember when I got a job in Burbank, I was walking to the bus station one day, years later, like a couple of years later. And I was walking to the bus stop after work and I got a text from him. Saying that he he was like, oh, you look really pretty today. Oh, very scary. Years later, yeah, it was years later, and that like, is and terrifying. He was like, and he was like, oh yeah, no, I just saw like I'm in Burbank too, and I just saw you walking, just thought I would say mm-hmm. hello. And I'm like, that's
2: the that's not saying way hello.
1: You could say hello to me, and uh, to this day, I qu- and you know he would comment on things on my Facebook and stuff. Yeah, and to this day, I question whether or
2: not i i'm like is it me? like maybe he does no, mean he was, well you know what i mean he was definitely being creepy 100% but it scared me 100 yeah that is terrifying and then also you're in a situation then too when you're not with a lot of other people you're not able to really stand up for yourself in the same way even if you did feel that urge to do so, you know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, I talked about the film that I was in a few episodes ago where it was sketchy. There was another, like, the former porn star that, like, would call me and leave me voicemails and be like, you looked sad today.
1: <laughs> Look, listen, it. we have to stop that. Like, you... You have to know where boundaries are with people. Like, yes, it's not
2: just because you have someone's phone number doesn't mean that you have like all the capacity in the world to just like text them all day. Because like we would give phone numbers to like the quote unquote directors course, at our school. You had to. Yeah. Because if you wanted to get work done to build your reel while you were in school and all this kind of stuff, that's what you did. And these people would just like text and call, and we're just like young girls being like, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, it is part of that industry too, where you feel like you
1: can't say no because it's like you need every opportunity. And it is just part of the way the industry is built. I have a friend uh, who I used to do background with who made a status or an Instagram story about that kind of recently because she was contacted by someone else either in the cast or on the crew because they got her phone number from the contact sheet. Oh my, which is so God. inappropriate. That is so like so bad. You can't just take someone's phone number from the contact sheet and text them personally. Like it is, it, it's just violating boundaries. Like I understand that we're not, we're a little off, a little off topic talking about stalking, but it's all related. Uh, well, I was
2: gonna say, and I feel like these are the kinds of stories that we hear a lot about, and I do have to kind of. Hollywood-centric stories to share later on in the episode that are really good examples of these kinds of behavior. Uh, But let's start getting into some like statistics and stuff. Sure. Well, I want to talk about stalking
1: behavior and the many forms that it can take. And it can include making threats against someone or that person's family or friends, non-consensual communication such as repeated phone calls, emails, text messages and unwanted gifts, repeated physical or visual closeness like waiting for someone to arrive at certain locations, following someone or watching someone from a distance, uh, any behavior used to contact, harass, track, or threaten someone. So those are kinds of, you know, those are things that we all, we were just talking about basically. Like those were examples of things that we were kind of already talking about. Stalking victimization. So an estimated six to 7.5 million people are stalked in a one-year period in the United States. Yeah. Nearly one in six women and one in 17 men have experienced stalking victimization at some point in their lifetime. So obviously, it is disproportionately women who experience stalking. Yeah. But anybody can experience stalking. Anyone can be a stalker. There's definitely stalkers across the gender spectrum.
2: Well, right. And that's the thing is that there are many different forms that a stalker can take. And I wonder if there are, you know, statistically certain types of people or I guess even certain genders of people that will behave in certain ways according to that. Like, I feel like you hear more about the conniving woman Mm -hmm. who goes online and finds all of your past social media posts and finds out everything about your life where you might think of a male perpetrator as being someone who's following you and surveilling you and having it be more like physical, obvious acts like that. Like I know for me, that's kind of the prejudice that I have in my own mind of things like that. Right.
1: Absolutely. I think because of the media that we're exposed to, probably like, yeah. you even see it. In, I used to watch that show. I think it was on ID called obsession, which was all about stalking, uh, Interesting show, very very bad
2: re- reenactments. Oh, I love ID so much. Their reenactments really are just something terrible. A thing of beauty. <laughs> but I love It's like it's it's the endless like crazy stories that I need on that yes. channel. Like yeah, it's yeah. just everything. Yeah. It's everything.
1: But that show, I mean, highlighted all different kinds of stocking yeah. and it did highlight even like non-romantic stalking, right? right. Where it was like oftentimes um they would show it as like a woman stalking another woman because they wanted to be their friend so much or like right, that, or that like kind of obsessive, their life and yeah, things like yeah, that. that kind of obsessive stalking. Totally. I think we see a lot of that. So again, it doesn't always have to be romantic. I think we, yeah. we constantly or usually think of that like erotomania kind of stalking where totally. it's just like that fantasy about wanting to be with someone so much. And
2: thinking that that person actually wants to be with you as well. Right. You know, erotomania yeah. is very fascinating. It's interesting. But you know, one thing that is kind of true across the board is that for the most part, victims are stalked at a younger age. Yes. And most of them, 75% do say that they know their stalker in some way, shape or form.
1: Yeah, I did think that it was interesting that people aged 18 to 24 are most likely to be the victims of stalking. It's not surprising, especially if you're looking at it from the perspective of young girls and women uh, because as it's their
2: first time away from home, yes, there's usually a, a certain amount of
1: naivete that goes along with that. But then also the fact that most women will say that they receive the most sexual harassment.
2: At about that age or like early
1: teens through their early 20s
2: right and Um, I feel like that's kind of like the heavy dating age I feel like that's the age when women are typically more vulnerable because they're you know even if they have roommates they're not really like living with people or checking in with people their lives are a little bit more freed up than when you're older where I feel like the instances for stalking present themselves a bit more when you're younger as well because of the vulnerability that young people have. And you are just kind of figuring out the world
1: uh, a lot of the time. Like the story that I just told, would I allow that to happen now? Like as a 31-year-old woman, would I have just gone along with that
2: situation? Well, but at the same time, we're now in 2021 where this was 10 years ago, where I think that these discussions weren't being had. Sure. But I do think that
1: once you have a, there's a reason why predatory people go after young people. And I think it's because they see someone who doesn't have as much life experience. So I think that they see that as someone who is easier to manipulate. um, And because of our fucked up beauty standards, (laughs) I feel like that also plays, plays a role in those people receiving that kind of attention definitely uh so yeah as a podcast network
0: our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you but we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with shopify shopify.com slash realm.
1: Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Let's talk about, we talked about victims, so let's talk about statistics around offenders. Yes. So two-thirds of stalkers pursue their victims at least once per week, but many pursue them daily using more than one method, which I cannot emphasize enough how scary that is to me. Yeah, like they'll follow you and they'll send you text messages. Yeah, you get 16 phone calls and then 100 text messages and then you see them at your car and then... You know, like, it's just, to me, that kind of nonstop feeling of not being safe is so scary. Um, 78% of stalkers use more than one means to approach, which is kind of what we were just talking about as well. Weapons are used to harm or threaten victims in one out of five cases. Yeah,
2: I feel like that usually happens at a time when things have escalated a bit. Right, that's exactly what I was going to say. And it's interesting because I read a lot of different kind of psychologist takes on this there's a lot of different like labeling of offenders and what types of offenders they are but psychologists have often grouped stalkers into two categories either the psychotic and non-psychotic stalkers some stalkers may have pre-existing psychological disorders such as a delusional disorder schizoaffective disorder or schizophrenia However, most stalkers are non-psychotic and their pursuit of a victim is usually angry, vindictive and often includes blame, obsession, dependency, minimization, denial and jealousy.
1: Yeah, I feel like these are the same people who are domestic abusers, right? Yes, like yes. it's this, it's cuz oftentimes um their intimate partners. The right. people or or former intimate partners yeah. are the people who are doing the stalking. And I feel like it is absolutely a power and control move for those people. Like yeah, not it's a
2: it's a fear tactic. It's absolutely. a way for them to feel You're like not their, in life not their life is not their life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There was a study that's called a study of stalkers that also breaks down different categories of stalkers. And one of them is rejected stalkers. There's the resentful stalkers, the intimacy seekers, incompetent suitors, and predatory stalkers. A lot of them do have... The same kind of thread of intimacy running through each of these categories, whether it be disdain for not getting the person they want to be with and they want revenge or they're doing it to be with the person to win them over um, or they feel like they don't have good enough social skills to be with them in real life. So this is the only way that they can possibly be with them. It's very fascinating. Yeah. And I also want to point out that one third of stalkers have
1: stalked before. So, this is part of why it's so important that there are laws in place for this kind of thing because it is a thing that is a pattern of behavior that if they do it once with someone um, they are likely to do it again either with the same person down the line or with someone else. So it is important that this be a criminal offense that can go on someone's record so that they can establish a pattern of behavior for these people because it is likely to escalate and it is not likely to stop on its own. Like, Sometimes it does, Like, it's just a fixation on one specific person, yeah. Um, but
2: in general, I mean, one third. And it can move on to other people and things like that. doesn't mean it's that only one person is in danger. But then also, you know, I think about all the women who go to law enforcement physically bloody and bruised and still don't get the help that they deserve. And then when you're coming forward about stalking, which I would assume could be more difficult to prove, I could see why it's harder for law enforcement and for the victims of stalking to get justice.
1: Right. Well, I mean, there's obviously very clearly like a lot more needed to be done and still needs to be done to protect people from things like this. But when you're talking about like someone won't stop calling you or won't stop texting you, oftentimes... There will be the receipts for that. Right, but oftentimes police will just say, okay, we'll change your number. Like, there's not a lot we can do to stop somebody from calling you. Yeah. But the problem is that that is an indicator that things could possibly escalate. Like, the issue... definitely. I mean, the issue is the phone calls because the phone calls make you feel unsafe. But the issue is not the phone calls. The issue is that this person is in a state of mind that could lead to a very dangerous and scary place. Yeah, totally. Um, but unfortunately... I really feel like a lot of law enforcement agencies just feel like they
2: can't do anything
1: until an actual threat has been made.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. There is something called the Address Confidentiality Program, which secures a new private mailing address for the victim, which is usually a P.O. box. And that is something that's pretty common in the United States for people to do, to have their you know mail yeah. go to a P.O. box yeah. instead of going to their actual house in order to help protect that. Also, like a lot of stalkers will use DMV information and things like that. So a lot of those laws have had to change because it was so easy for people to look up driver's license registration. And then you can see if they move, where they're going, where they're working. Like there's so much information. bananas that any of that stuff should be easily accessible. Yeah. I mean,
1: truly, I mean, and this is very scary. Like there's so much information available online, like. I have done some research for some projects that I've done in the past where I've needed to try and find information. And it's sometimes a little unnerving like how easy you can find... If you
2: pick up the right clues and Google the right stuff mm-hmm. in, yeah. in secession, you'll usually find what you're looking for. Yeah.
1: Yeah, which is... It's very scary. Like It is. That, it sh- there shouldn't be that kind of access. And that kind yeah. of leads me into the next thing, right? Because stalking has always happened Always. There have been cases of stalking since the beginning of time, I'm sure. I bet it's in the Bible. I bet it is. <laughs> uh, but of course, with the um, access to technology, it has gotten worse. So let's talk a little bit about cyber stalking and the use of technology.
2: Actually, I do have a story about that. Oh, you just like brought something up in me Oh so. no, repressed memory. <laughs> no, I mean, like it's one of those things I just forget about and it like pops up ever, every now and again. I want to say it was maybe like 14 or 15 years old and there was a guy at my skating rink that Mm -hmm. I kind of had a crush on. It was in the days of AOL sent messengers. messenger. So oh. we were like mm. IMing until like Amazing. two in the morning, right? Just that
1: open door sound. I was just oh. going to
2: say that. Oh, and the worst was the door shutting sound when your crush goes offline. It is like, I just, I feel like viscerally, I feel that. I know. It's really weird. So we're like IMing all the time and it's the era of MySpace and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm like living on my little white MacBook laptop or Adorable. whatever. I'm on photo booth with all the crazy like comic pictures or whatever Anyway, it's just painting a picture here. And we're like IMing one night and talking and he says something about like having hacked my computer's camera and then he could see me in my room. Did he think that that was like cute? I have no idea. He was like about the same age as me too. So I don't know what he was thinking. He was but, lying
1: to you for sure, but that is not cute. Why would he I say that to know, you? I did know he
2: was really smart with that it's stuff. Scary. Like He was like a super like nerdy computer guy. So I didn't know that. I was 15. It was still like, it was probably like 2006 or something like that. The knowledge. I mean, I was still sharing the emails that said, if you don't share this with five people, okay. Oh, the yeah. girl's gonna show up in your room and kill you in the <laughs> yeah. middle of the night. Like I'm still in that like mindset a little bit, so I'm like absolutely terrified. Tell my mom immediately. Oh, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying, what was this
1: person's deal? That they, I don't know. You what know the, that they said it to you because they probably thought it made them sound like cool or interesting. Like, I have oh, no I'm, like, idea. A hacker, and it's like, did you really think that a 15 year old girl was gonna be like hot? Like that's hot. Oh, like, you can
2: see me in my room. That's great. Weird. And like I lost my shit i was like i'm never talking to you again all this stuff he was like i didn't do that i'm so sorry that i said i did but it was like it creeped me out hey, it's weird so much that i like blocked him everywhere i you. wouldn't make eye contact with him at the rink but then i just remembered, like years later i think like he showed up on facebook or something and like we had been around each other for most of our childhood so I was like whatever like we'll be friends on facebook and he started like calling me through facebook all the fucking time, like super wasted. It's scary. It is, I mean, this was like, I was in California, he's in Minnesota, like he's not gonna hurt me, but it was so obnoxious that he like was just calling and messaging me constantly and I yeah, just blocked like, him and moved on. Leg- but, legitimately,
1: that stuff freaks me out so much because yeah. I'm just like, you don't always know or you sometimes rarely know the impact that you
2: have on other people's lives. Yeah, this was like 10 years later. Right,
1: you don't know and sometimes that can be a real positive thing to think about. Like, oh, you don't know the impact that you have on other people. Right. And that can be said as a very positive thing. But, but on the other side of that coin, like you have no idea how often someone is thinking about you and you yeah. have no control over that. And like
2: that is scary. Yeah. Me. There's a guy at work that used to bring in like gifts and stuff for one of my friends at work all the yeah, time. And it means that he's thinking about that person all the time. Because and his-
1: if you That's if you scary. are doing that it means that like that person is on your mind a lot. Yeah. Right? Like which is if it's a friend and it's like cute, if it's it's
2: like someone that you
1: mutually vibe with, but like if you do not and it's
2: completely one-sided and you've made that clear, then it's scary. Yeah. And I think a lot of it also has to do with much like in domestic violence where it has to do with the level of authority and power as well. And like the relationship, because in the example of my friend at work where a customer is bringing her things like that Ooh. is a really difficult situation to be in because a customer you know employee right kind we, of we live in a customers always right work
1: belief right yes. like in this country like we believe like that's the thing that you do when you work in retail or you work in customer service You're customers always really right nice so you are yeah. beholden to that person the power dynamic is Skewed, Yeah. Right? Because if you want to keep your job, it's not like you can just go off on this person in the store. And she's in
2: her early 20s and he is definitely reaching his 40s, if not already in his 40s. And so she would accept these gifts. and What are you supposed to do? Exactly. And I think also part of her is like, you're going to bring me coffee in the middle of the day? Like, fuck it. I'll take a coffee. You know what I mean? Like, there's also that kind of like, what's the harm situation about it? But it did take the manager at the time stepping forward and being like, look, you can't do this shit anymore. He still comes in pre- like basically every day. He was wearing an World shirt the day and after the tragedy. That, Fuck this guy. Okay, gross. Um, but also
1: like, that's a red flag. It's like who... I like to shop. I don't go to the places
2: I like to shop at every day. We do have a lot of like old people that come in every day and people that try to sell their shit a lot. But it is like, it's definitely at a certain time of day every day. And it's just, he's a real sleazeball. Likes to hang out and show us pictures on his phone. And like, No, I mean, and even now,
1: like, right, I'm like, gross. But even now, like, my empathy is like, oh, he sounds like a real lonely individual. But that thinking will get you in trouble. Exactly. (laughs) And that's how
2: everybody thinks. And it's like, it's easy because we want to empathize with people. And we know what it's like to be lonely or not have friends and things like that. But then also, maybe there's a fucking reason this person doesn't have friends. You know what I mean? mean, It's like, you don't have to be mean to the person. Like, that's never the answer. But But at the same time, having your guard up. And having boundaries Protect yourself. Protect yourself.
1: Because I feel like, you know, with the guy that I was talking about earlier on this episode, now I'm so paranoid that he's going to listen to this. But um, when I was... He should know if he was fucking creepy. My God. (laughs) But I when I when I think about him, I feel like I gave him a lot of passes because he had told me he used to be a Marine. He told me that he had a lot of PTSD from his yep. time serving. And, you know, he had just recently lost a bunch of weight and he would lost a relationship and he was feeling really... Like, so he told me all these things about himself. I'm playing, playing the me.
2: world's smallest violin right, right but now. but looking
1: back on it... Not that that isn't
2: legit stuff, but it's, still. it's
1: legit stuff, but looking back on it, it does definitely feel like... Why was, was he talking me, to you about yeah, that? Yeah, you were telling me all of these things as someone who is maybe almost 10 years older than me. Um, you were telling me all of these things to make me empathize with you because yes. I'm a very empathetic person. Yes. And if you empathize with someone, you are far more willing to let things
2: slide and let, that's and let why, things go. And that's why I have stayed in horrible relationships yeah. because I am an empathetic person first and foremost. Yeah. So if I can understand why someone is behaving a certain way, there is that kind of like soft spot that you have for someone. But that's the thing is that people who are abusers and stalkers, they use that. I don't even want to say naivete, but I think it's that like hope and empathy and kindness and goodness in people. Idealism. And they use yeah. that. Yeah. And they use that as a way of turning it into your weakness yeah. in a way that's really scary because we don't want to have to live our lives super guarded and not trusting anybody I, I you know like I like that I
1: care about people Me I, too. I don't want to be a hard person no. like I like caring about people I think that it's important and I think it's one of the things I think it's a strength yeah genuinely but unfortunately it can put you in positions sometimes where you have to just be hyper, hyper aware of people's intentions. Well, and I think,
2: especially for female identifying people, that's an issue that we've had for most of our lives where we have to think about You know, we can't be mean, but we can't be too nice. Where's that line? How do we keep ourselves safe from these potential predators? You have to be
1: aware constantly of threats that are around you, but you can't necessarily be too forward because there's that... could put you in danger even more. Right, there's that fear, right? Yeah,
2: especially with someone who is probably taking more sneaky tactics like a stalker would instead of something that might be more obvious like a physical abuser Mm -hmm. and things like that. These are those red flags that are not going to be as obvious, especially in the beginning, much like your story.
1: Right. I mean, and a lot of times, like I, we talked before we did this episode that um, one of the things that made you want to do this episode was that you've been watching
2: you. Yes. I watched- I'm literally, I have like 10 minutes left of the finale of season two going. Next. Oh, okay.
1: So I watched the first season and like half of the second season and then I, I kind of fell off. I. Not because I don't like the show because I it's really so do. It's so good. Oh, I, my God. I like the show a lot. Um, but I think that that's there's also uh dot org has an entire discussion guide surrounding season three of you.
2: I didn't read it because I haven't watched
1: season. Three yeah, of you.
2: I haven't watched it yet either, and I, it's probably a good idea not for us to talk about it for right, that reason as right. well. But, but if you
1: if you are if you have watched it and you want to kind of see stalking through that perspective, like yeah. that, that'd be a good thing for you to look at. Well, but I bring that up because there is also there is also that right. Like you compared it to domestic abuse, and I do think that a lot of stalkers and your relationship with potential stalkers is similar. Yeah, and. It's similar to that idea we have of Joe in you, whereas like this is not someone who is going to immediately come out the gate necessarily and be like, I am someone you should be scared of. Yeah. Right. Sometimes that will happen. Like sometimes it's a completely one sided relationship where you don't even know this person and they're obsessed with you. Yeah. But there are times I feel like where it can seem like a fairly normal relationship or friendship or, yeah. or anything else. Or this is a coworker who like you just get along with. Like you don't know that they mean you harm until you're in a situation where they're doing harm to you. And I feel like and domestic violence most, is
2: like that as well. That's the most terrifying thing. And the fact that they cast somebody that is so like Attractive? handsome yeah. and, you know, kind of fits that like, good little white boy image kind of squeaky that clean white knight
1: i'm good i'm here to save you everything yeah, very i'm very hopeless is, romantic is for your good
2: yeah. yeah yeah he loves like novels and things like that so yeah but it is like yeah they really got us with that huh oh, you're they like really oh did. a man who likes to read swoon oh, you know what i mean they know they know their audience and keegan and madigan for that <laughs> yeah. my god but like it, it really is smart because i think that there's this idea of if you know pretty privilege or whatever you want to call it like if somebody is good looking that means that they're not a threat to you you're willing to give them a lot more chances it's why vampires are so hot
1: (laughs) it is they're luring you in
3: Team
1: Uh, Edward or team Jacob oh Jacob what I was team Edward
2: 100% First of all, ew. Uh, but secondly, like, they were both bad choices. They're, they were both the worst <laughs> choices. But, like, 16, 17-year-old Madigan was, like, die hard Team Edward, and I would have fought you on it.
1: Okay, we'll put a poll up on our story when this episode <laughs> comes we'll out. Perfect, we put it up on
2: Monday. <laughs>
1: uh, okay, so stalking. Yes. So one of the ways perpetrators stalk victims is through the use of technology, and... We oftentimes call that cyber stalking, Uh but the use of technology to stalk is kind of the broad term that is used uh, to cover all forms of stalking that rely on technology. So some uses of technology to stalk include persistently sending unwanted communication through the internet, such as spamming someone's email inbox or social media platform, Posting threatening or personal information about someone on public internet forums, that's also known as doxing. Video voyeurism, or installing video cameras that give the stalker access to someone's personal life, which is Fucking what terrifying. that guy said he was doing to you. Yeah. Megan using GPS or other software tracking systems to monitor someone without their knowledge or consent using someone's computer and or spyware to track their computer activity. Mm. That one scares me a lot. Like there yeah. are just like certain things that I'm like, you know, like when I might wake me up in the middle of the night Yeah, and that's one like spyware, like someone being able to like, if you work for a company like in an office job if you've ever had a problem with like a work computer and you have to call like the help desk yeah. and they will like remote into your computer and they basically take control over your computer? Yeah. That shit fills me with anxiety, yeah, even terrifying. when I'm at work. Like when I need to call them, I'm I'm still filled with anxiety because I'm like, you are see they gonna, the mouse moving? Yeah, you know? it's it sketches me out and I'm like, okay, so they can see I feel like you get such an intimate look at someone's life even in that brief moment because yeah. you're like, oh, I can see what their wallpaper is. I can see like maybe I didn't minimize my Spotify and now they know what I'm listening to. Like yeah. It's just like
2: little things like that where I'm like. Same thing with the phone. Like yeah. that's such a big like fear of mine. But like hacking into the cloud and getting a hold of pictures. Like not that I really have anything that's like damaging but it is just it's private like it's my own shit and I don't want everybody to be able to see it someone would be able to piece together your life in such a way if they
1: had access to your like search history and your pictures and your social media like they can kind of get inside your head in -hmm. in a way that makes me very uncomfortable like I don't want to I don't share that part of myself with everybody but
2: that's how they get their intel in order to be able to stalk you better to them it's and i'm sure they've rationalized all the reasons that they're doing it as well you know yeah that's why they're so freaking scary absolutely i mean and as technology and digital
1: platforms continue to grow this is going to be an issue that we are going to continue to see more and more i mean as people become more savvy using computers and are able to do things like that um on a greater scale, it is, it's scary. It's just something
2: to be aware yeah, of. I actually heard recently about, uh, one woman that was on Matt season of the bachelor she has hearing issues and so she has like a cochlear implant and a special hearing aid installed in her where now like she can like listen to music and stuff through her cochlear implant uh-huh. and i was like what if somebody like hacked that software and just played baby shark over and over right. and over or just, just played messages again. of them talking to you oh my like, god isn't that scary <gasps> like oh uh. uh, the same thing with like baby cameras and nanny cam- oh nanny cameras always scared me because I, I didn't know if someone was like not gonna tell me if there was one and there was one hidden and like the dad was gonna watch it later like that was something I'd be paranoid about when I was babysitting a lot yeah I mean and not even like you were gonna do anything
1: creepy no it's but just don't like, watch me reading my book right or, or picking my nose exactly like any like you, I don't want you to be watching me picking my wedgie when I think I'm alone you know yeah. like it's, it's just so uncomfortable it's so uncomfortable to me it's very scary to think about um I feel like people should be taking a shot every time we say scary, because I think we've done that like 20 times at least during this episode. Welcome
2: to the show. We (laughs) pick a word, we stick to it. What are you going to do? So uh, let's talk a little bit about stalking
1: laws, shall we? Uh, Because I remember thinking that this was absolutely bananas. Uh, I know you're going to tell a little bit about Rebecca Schaefer later on. We talked about Rebecca Schaefer in episode 78 of... My other podcast, My Worst Date, No Regrets. So if you want to find that and listen to the Tainted Love Story at the end,
2: yes. uh, we do talk
1: about Rebecca Schaefer a little bit. But I remember Rebecca Schaefer's story. I think I had heard it on a case file. Case File did a couple of episodes okay, about Rebecca Schaefer. And I remember hearing... This, which was that in the United States, stalking was not criminalized until 1990. Yeah. When talking about her case, because that is stalking was not, and okay. California was the first state in the United States to criminalize stalking and that didn't happen until 1990. Yeah, because
2: during the 80s there was like a string of horrible stalking incidents. There was uh, the 1982 attempted murder of actress Teresa Saldana, which I'll talk about. Oh my God, that story is so scary. It's very scary. The 1988 massacre by Richard Farley, the 1989 murder of Rebecca Schaefer, and five Orange County stalking murders in 1989 and when I tried to google this the only thing that showed up was the night stalker but I don't think that's what they're referring to with the 5 orange county stalking murders No
1: I'm sure there are separate stalking That's what I was thinking but cases. it was only
2: showing me night stalker it was very unfortunate Yeah but actually, so 1990 was the first time that there was any sort of stalking law in the United States in the state of California. But then within three years, every state in the United States followed suit to create some sort of law making stalking a crime. They're
1: like, I guess if California is going to do it, I yeah.
2: guess we should do it too. Well, and it's interesting because like, it, to me, it makes total sense that California, if it was going to be a state to do something about stalking, it would be California. Because it is something that I feel like is so common In celebrity culture, it was absolutely those
1: parasocial relationships that people have. Like it is, it genuinely, yeah, it's 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 one of those things that happen with people,
2: and it happens a lot. Like I remember when I was like a celebrity nanny, um, there were people that were obsessed with the kids. And it was really scary. Like, it's just, it's absolutely bizarre the fixations that people can have on these people they don't even know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I don't feel like I've ever sunk deep into like a a real parasocial relationship. But I even think about the podcasts I listen to or the YouTube channels that I follow that I I, I follow them because I like the person, right? Yeah. I enjoy that person's personality, and that's why I watch this YouTube channel. Right, and specifically. you picture, oh, I
2: could be friends with this person and right. things like. But that's like a healthy level of like, I like this show, I like this thing because I feel like I resonate with this person and what they stand for and who they are. But I do. But you're not see gonna go how to- it could devolve. Like I right. easily see that, you know, because I,
1: uh, it's no surprise. Like I listen to the Daily Zeitgeist Guys every single oh day. Oh my god, do you? Oh my gosh, I haven't mentioned it in a while. So. You haven't. Um, but when I met Miles for the first time, I met him a couple of times now, but like the first time I met him, it was like this really weird, like I felt a really weird, like fangirl kind of feeling. Oh, that's real. Yeah. Because you do, there is part of you that feels like I know this person because I hear their voice in my ears every day. Right. And you get a lot
2: of like fun facts and information about them. I'm sure you all feel that way about us as well. Like... You right. know, and in a lot of ways, you do know us, but it's just not on a personal level. And I think that that's where a lot of people and can when it's get not reciprocated, skewed. like yes. when when it's like I know him, but he doesn't know me, and so yeah. like I could
1: see I'm in no danger of stalking Miles Gray. Okay, Are you please, sure? please don't at him. Um, yeah, no, don't at him. <laughs> you
2: paused there, like maybe you were like, wait, should they? Maybe, should they no. warn him?
1: No, uh, but I do see how if you let it go unchecked yeah. and maybe also if you have other factors going on with you that it could devolve. Yeah. So I think that celebrity obsession and and stalking situations is fairly common.
2: Yeah, very. So on March 15th, 1982, actress Teresa Saldana was being stalked by Arthur Richard Jackson, a 46-year-old drifter from Scotland. Arthur became obsessed with Teresa after seeing her in her films Defiance and Raging Bull. Never seen either, have you?
1: No, I haven't. I feel like I should have seen Raging Bull. That's what I was about to say. It's very surprising as two people who went to film school that neither one of us have seen Raging Bull.
2: Wait, which one is? No, I'm thinking of Blazing Saddles. Very different different. than Raging Bull. Mm Mm-hmm. He got her address by hiring a private investigator and approached Teresa in front of her home in West Hollywood in broad daylight and attacked her with a five and a half inch hunting knife puncturing her loss five and a half inches five and, and a, a half really inches big knife it was so fierce that the blade bent. <gasps> Oh, like, oh, my God. Right. So there was a delivery man by the name of Jeff Fenn who intervened after hearing her cries and rushed from the second floor of an apartment building and incapacitated Arthur. Following the attack, Teresa was hospitalized with 10 stab wounds and stayed at the motion picture hospital for four months to recover. But she survived, which is like unbelievable Mm -hmm. after the attack that she went through. Arthur then served almost 14 years in prison, but he continued to make threats against Teresa and her now savior, Jeff, from prison, okay. I really feel
1: like you shouldn't be let out of prison if you're still threatening the person right? that you like, attacked. Is
2: there not a parole board or something? Because that you that, have to that really feels
1: like you're not rehabilitated. Like it feels like some work needs to be done. Like you shouldn't just be like, well, okay. I mean, I guess it's fine. You I can, did my time. I guess can I can leave now.
2: Whatever. But you know, again, there were no real like. I mean, yes, there was the crime of him stabbing her and things like that. But maybe they were like, oh, well. He just wanted her, you know. I don't know what their thought process was. I don't know. I don't. I'm not saying this is fact. I'm just trying to think like they would think. If that was me, and they're
1: like, "Well, it's just she. He just wants her." I'm like, "Yeah, that's me." Like, yeah, that's not okay. (laughs)
2: Like, I want to live. I do find her. Trajectory after her recovery to be quite interesting because a great thing that she did is she founded the Victims for Victims organization and participated in lobbying for the 1990 anti stalking law that we were just discussing in California. She also played herself in the TV movie of the events called Victims for Victims, the Teresa Saldana story, which sounds wild to play yourself yeah in the worst moment of your life i watched her
1: i watched an interview with her where she yeah. was talking about this and she said that she found it to be therapeutic like, which I'm like, okay, I mean, whatever works for you. Because I really do feel like it could go one of two ways.
2: I also just like wouldn't, I don't know. It just seems weird to play yourself. I wouldn't want to do it. No. But me, no, me
1: personally. But if it works for her, like whatever gets you through.
2: Is there anyone fine. at the
1: top of your head that you would cast to play me in a movie? Oh, okay. I, I don't know how you feel about this person. So don't get mad at me. But like the first person who popped into my head was Anna Kendrick. Oh, no, that's, that, a, that that's a nice one. Okay, good. I don't know. Some people don't like her. No, I mean, I don't have any strong feelings either way about her. I feel like you have similar like... Energy?
2: Yeah, like fun vibes, like quirky fun vibes. Interesting. I'm wondering, it's because I'm looking at Seldana, but I was like, um, is it Zoe Seldana that I'm thinking of? Zoe no, Saldana. I'm not thinking of her. Who was I thinking of that would be great for you? I can think of so many people that you would be great Playing, thank you. That's better. Yeah, remember, (laughs) I thought that you make a great Betty Davis. I still think that. Thank you. They were gonna make a movie, not Betty Davis, like Betty
1: Davis eyes, like Betty Davis, like the performer, like yeah. Singer. Go back and listen to the
2: feminist faves yeah. episode. Like mm-hmm. she's so but I feminist. love that. That's amazing. So okay. this stalking incident would inspire another infamous stalker. We've mentioned her multiple times. Rebecca Schaefer was the victim of this particular stalker by the name of Robert John Bardo in nineteen eighty-nine after Bardo had been stalking her for three years. He was a really big fan of hers. He was obsessed with her very pure good girl image and how like young and sweet she was. He and had, that's that's the thing that
1: scares me the most. Because yeah. it's like, that is the thing that scares me about parasocial relationships is that this man had really built her up based on a persona that she had from a TV show. She was playing a character. Right, playing a character that was this like sweet kind of golden child, innocent. And so he thought that that's who this was, right? Yes. And, like, and he
2: held her up to a very high standard of... Being that person in real and that's life. That's very, very scary. And it's just unattainable. It's not going to happen, right? So he had written numerous letters to Rebecca over and over and over again, and she had only ever responded to one, but she did respond to one, which to him was kind of this invitation to go to Los Angeles. And so, it was a
1: very, like, it was a very standard, like, yeah. I'm responding to all of my fans' generic message. Like, yeah, love Rebecca. Hi, Robert. Thanks for being a fan. Love Rebecca. Like, it was something very
2: not personal. there was nothing super personal it was one response yes exactly so in 1987 he went to la in hopes of meeting rebecca on the warner brothers lot while she shot my sister sam but security turned him away he returned a month later with a knife but again security guards blocked him from entering the lot Then for a little bit, his mind drifted away from Rebecca and went to a few other young actresses until he saw her in the dark comedy scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills in 1989, where she appears in bed with another actor, which just shattered this high expectation he had of her in this good girl image. And he referred to her as this Hollywood whore who deserved to be punished. So taking a note from um, Saldana's stalker, he paid a private investigator to get her address and his brother helped him obtain a gun. He went to Los Angeles for the third time and roamed Rebecca's neighborhood to make sure that she actually did live in that neighborhood and eventually rang the doorbell to her home. That night and this is so wild to me. They really really wanted her to play the daughter in The Godfather Part right. 3. Yeah. So she was expecting a script to be there. And I think I remember when I think I had heard this story on Crimes of Passion mm-hmm. on the podcast network and I want to say that she was like running lines with people and she was kind of busy and showering and getting ready and nervous for this big audition. She really really wanted this role. And she was waiting for the script to be delivered. And because there was no email PDF files to be sent, they were hand delivered. Of course, a
1: courier is sent. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that still happens sometimes. Like people will, s- like if it is a, like The Godfather like it is a one. really like high profile project, maybe even nowadays they wouldn't feel safe just sending that in an email. That's they a good point. They might have a
2: courier come to your house and drop it off. Yeah, but so, the, the point was she was waiting for someone to right, come to the door. Right, and I've done this a million times. So she was waiting around for someone to come to the door anyway, and when she heard a knock at the door, she answered. And it was Bardo who showed her an old letter, and after a short conversation, she turned him away and asked him not to come to her home again. He left, went to a diner for a bit, and returned to her apartment an hour later. He said this time she had a cold look on her face when she answered the door. Of course she did. She's like I told you to fucking leave You're already. And I waiting house. and I'm waiting for the Godfather 3 script. Can you please leave me be? But that is when he pulled out his handgun and shot her point blank in the chest. She was rushed to Cedar Sinai Hospital and pronounced dead 30 minutes after the arrival at the hospital and her murder was probably one of the biggest instigators into getting this law passed because it was so high profile and so unbelievable to people. Right,
1: I mean, and it, and was, it should have been prevented. Oh my God. Right, absolutely. Like, seriously, it doesn't have to be my worst date if you don't want to listen to that one, but like there are so many podcasts that talk about this and they will go into detail about how many things could have prevented this from happening
2: years of him stalking her when this happened there were times that he showed up at Warner Brothers multiple times right there is security in place and I'm glad that they turned him away but there should have been more people who were looking out for this very very young girl well and I think it was also because
1: Saldana and Schaefer's cases were so close together yeah they were within a few years and they were Hollywood cases right of like fairly high profile people and they happen in very similar ways. So the Driver's Privacy Protection Act, DPPA, was enacted in 1994 in response to numerous cases of driver's information being abused for criminal activity. Right. Um, with those two cases being very prominent examples of that. And the DPPA prohibits states from disclosing a driver's personal information without permission by State Department of Motor Vehicle. Like, you, you should have permission from the DMV you should have to show something you should not yeah. be able to just call the DMV and be like hey can you please send me this info
2: yeah, and they're just send like me This no person's problem. address or something yeah that's well bizarre. they did they did hire private investigators so I wonder if there was a way that maybe Joe Schmo couldn't call and get that information but maybe a private investigator would have ways of getting I mean that. it's
1: very scary that anybody should be able to get that information that readily. Totally. It's it's very unnerving. And yes, a private investigator could probably get that information a number of different ways, even today. Like I said, it's not that difficult even online for a layman to find a lot of information. Uh, But still, a government-like...
2: Um, you shouldn't entity, be able to call, yeah, like our DMV entity and get information that easily. Shouldn't yeah. be giving that stuff out. Especially when, if I want to call Spectrum, I have to like give them the rights to my firstborn child. You know what I mean? Like, yes. It's insane. Stop it. Yeah.
1: Um, the Violence Against Women Act uh, happened in 2005, it amended the United States Statute 108. Um, Defined and it defines stalking as engaging in a course of conduct directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person to a fear for his or her safety or the safety of others and b suffer substantial emotional distress. So as we're seeing, like these laws aren't coming into effect until the nineties and early two thousands. Yeah, two
2: thousand five. That was the first thing I was going to say when you said that. Can we just like think about that for a second? Yeah, because I was fifteen.
1: Yeah. That's That's wild.
2: It's absolutely wild.
1: Um, And to go along with that, less than one third of states classify stalking as a felony upon first offense. Uh, More than half of states classify stalking as a felony upon second or subsequent offense or when the crime involves aggravating factors. So that's kind of something we talked about where in England, it's like two offenses could classify it as stalking. So apparently like half the States in the United States follow along that line. Right. Um, But then again, I say that with the caveat of not every police department is going to take it seriously right and we 've seen that. jurisdictional
2: as well right as by state,
1: and we see that all the time with sexual assaults, um, sexual harassment, domestic violence, etc. A lot of it really depends on who are you talking to, like yeah. what officer do you get, who are you speaking to because they may not take what you're saying seriously, and that 100%. has a, a, is a big indicator, regardless of whatever the law is in the city um, or state that you're in. Yeah, a- aggravating factors include possession of a deadly weapon, violation of a court order or condition of probation slash parole, and a victim under 16 years old or the same victim as prior occasions. So if mm. this is someone it's like, yeah, over and over, they keep contacting Becky. This yeah. is a problem. Um, or somebody who is underage. Those are things that um, are considered aggravating factors along with violation of a restraining order or a weapon yeah. being used. So,
2: Let's talk a little bit about the impact that stalking has on Please. its victims. Yeah. One in eight victims of stalking will lose time from work as a result of the stalking. A lot of times stalkers will use... Your place of work as a way of keeping tabs on you and contacting you because you're a bit more vulnerable and your schedule is probably gonna be a lot better known and more predictable. Yeah, exactly. And one in seven stalking victims move as a result of the stalking. Nearly 19% of victims who report a stalker had stopped say it was because they moved away. And that's where that address confidentiality program comes in as well. 36 states have these programs and it's a way for people to disguise their identity in a way, which is really sad to think about people one in seven victims of stalking having to get up and move their lives somewhere else because somebody is ruining their lives. It's really upsetting.
1: Yeah. Um, Stalking victims suffer from much higher rates of depression, anxiety, insomnia, and social dysfunction than people in the general population, which makes sense given that forty six percent of stalking victims fear not knowing what will happen next. Yes. Which is constant fear. That that your fight or flight instincts have to be engaged at all times when you're in a situation like this, which means that you like your levels of like cortisol. I'm not a scientist. Okay. Yeah. But I, I would imagine like your, your stress hormones, right? Yeah. Like that's what happens when your fight or flight is engaged. Like your stress hormones are engaged to a higher degree. Uh, and I imagine that that is something that's happening for 46% of stalking victims who fear not knowing what's going to happen, 29% of stalking victims fear that the stalking will never stop, which again, you can't ever relax. Even in your home, there is no place where you feel safe. Mm. So of course, your levels of depression, anxiety, uh, panic, right? Like are at elevated levels at all times, which is terrible. Like it would be- It's not a healthy way to live. It's absolutely not a healthy way to live. Yeah. So what should you do if you feel like you're being stalked? Um, If you are concerned uh, about being stalked or you fear that stalking may escalate in behavior, consider these tips to increase your safety. Try to avoid the person stalking you. Duh. Not always possible. Uh, this can be difficult, especially if the person stalking to you is close to you, which is often the case an intimate partner or a family member. If you are being stalked through communication technology like email or text message, make it clear that you wish the contact to stop. Now, this might feel very like arbitrary right, uh, or obvious. Or, uh, yeah, or obvious. However, having that record um, that you have repeatedly, like you didn't just say it on the phone or in person, like you have a written record of requesting that it cease right, uh, is important for like future litigation possibly. Of so, course. Definitely do that. Make it very clear that you, you want the communication to stop. And then after that, do not respond to further communication. Right. Keep any evidence received from the stalker, such as text messages, voicemails, letters, packages, emails, etc. But again, do not respond. So this was something as well. Um, my co-host from My Worst Date had an incident recently. Uh, well, not super recently it happened a few years ago where she was kind of like doxxed online by someone she went on a date with because of the podcast. Yeah. And then he resurfaced a few years later recently. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Recontacted contacted her. Oh my and, gosh. And was email uh, uh, texting her like some really vile things. And so I told her, I was like, S- save his text messages, print them out. With his phone number. So like yeah. don't change his name to John or asshole or like whatever you want to put his name right. as. Like save it as his phone number so that it can be traced back to him. So if you want to do that, I I think that that's a, a good way to do it. Totally. Keep the number Keep as the your top.
2: ducks in a row. Right.
1: Inform family, friends, supervisors, and coworkers of the situation. If you have children, create a code word that lets them know they need to leave the house or call Mm -hmm. the police. Uh, Consider reporting the stalking to local law enforcement Keep an accurate journal or log of all incidents connected to the stalking and become familiar with computer safety and ways to stay safe online. It's a lot
2: of fucking work. Of
1: course it a is. For goddamn victim. It's so much it work sucks. and it's something that you should not have to do because this is not your fault right. in any way. But, um, it's how
2: you have to protect yourself yeah, in that situation. Get a
1: VPN. There are like lots of things that you can do to keep yourself safe online. Definitely. So to go along with that, there is help for victims. Um, and ways to report stalking. So if you are in immediate danger, of course, call 911 or 999 or whatever the emergency line is where you are uh, and contact your local police department to report stalking and stalking related incidents and or threats. Again, I know that contacting the police in instances like this, as with domestic violence
2: and sexual assault, it feels very hit or miss because... I know. But it does say statistically law enforcement intervention in any way, even if it's just to give them a call or show up at their house or something. And bare minimum, does you have help. a
1: record that you reported it. Exactly. Like bare minimum, there's a record there so you can establish um, that a this history. is a pattern of behavior, right? Yeah. Um, you can also call the National Hotline, the National Center for Victims of Crime in the United States, which is one 4 victim And that's one 4 484 For more information, you can visit Stalking Prevention Awareness and Resource Center at www.stalkingawareness.org. And you can also speak to someone who is trained to help at the National Sexual Assault Hotline 800-656-HOPE, which is 800-656-4673, or or you can chat online at online. Rain R A I N N dot org. So those yes. are all um, resources. We can put those in our
2: show notes. Yeah. So Rain.org that- also is just such a great yeah. resource for anything like that that you may need.
1: Right. And you might be thinking, you know, my my instance of stalking doesn't appear to be sexual in nature. So should I contact Rain? Contact them anyway. Yeah. They are such a good resource for you. Um, So if that is something that you are going through and you feel like you feel comfortable
2: reaching out to Rain, please do that. Definitely. All right. Well, there is another episode for you. If there are any topics that you would like for us to discuss in the future, you know what to do. You can email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. We also have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the fellow listeners on the group page. And last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the show, we would love for you to hop on over to that Apple Podcast app and leave us a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. We really appreciate it and is the best way that you can support the show. All right. That's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to to rage on.
3: Bye. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.